Advent is a season of waiting. Now, it just so happens that up here in the Northern Hemisphere, we are aided by the literal darkness that helps us experience the state of the world. But in the Southern Hemisphere, now in the long days of summer, it's the liturgy that can help drive home the fact that until Christ returns, the world is in darkness and waiting. The dark purple colors of the Advent candelabra and the colors around sanctuaries uh, across the world helps remind us of the bruised and beaten and battered world that awaits the renewal of Jesus. But on this third week of Advent, many Christian traditions around the world recognize the need for a week of joy amidst the season of waiting. Sometimes just we, we just have to be reminded of what it is we're waiting for. After all, when the shepherds were watching their flocks at night, it was the angels who declared, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. For our Advent sermon series, we've been exploring some of our favorite Christmas films, recognizing that media has a way of forming or deforming our affections. So we've been asking, how do these films offer us like an aid in becoming like Jesus? How do they embrace the themes of Advent? And how might they reinforce false teachings that would deform us somehow? I can think of few better films than Elf, starring Zoe Deschanel and Will Ferrell on this week of joy in the Advent season. And one of the first things you'll notice about the film Elf is that the main character, Buddy, is full of joy. So often in life, we get into ruts in which we, we sort of stop seeing the awe and wonder of the world, and we turn what is spectacular into the mundane. I always love it when friends visit from out of town, or better yet, from out of state, and they see the massive mountains and evergreen trees that I just take for granted as the background of where I live. And it's awe-inspiring to see it again through someone else's eyes. Buddy's outlook on life is a refreshing antidote to curmudgeonism. Now, that's a word I just made up, so don't try and look it up. Now, granted, Buddy is a bit of a walking hyperbole. He is a six-foot-three-inch tall man in tights with a pointy cap who treats department store turnstiles like amusement park rides and discarded chewing gum like free candy. And I wonder what Buddy would think of the gum wall in downtown Seattle. Buddy delights in the world around him, turning a crosswalk into a sort of hopscotch game and celebrating the successes of others like the world's best cup of coffee. But the encouragement here isn't to dress up like an elf or to act like a fool, but we are encouraged to ask, how is this character so happy, so joyful? And I think part of the answer to that question is that Buddy pays attention. Buddy finds joy in the simple things because he lives in the moment and he sees things as a gift. The scriptures encourage the same things in us. Just look at the Psalms that consistently tell us, consider the heavens, consider the works of God's hands, consider the one who made the vast oceans and all of the beasts that swim in them. And who is it that grants rain for the crops and, and grapes to make wine and grain for bread? And, and who is it that feeds the lion and the lamb? The Proverbs even point us to pay attention, look at the ants, take a lesson from them and their industriousness. Jesus himself pays attention to the natural world. He, he illustrates his stories about the kingdom of God by 
making references to grains of wheat and mustard seeds and flowers and birds and sheep and beautiful pearls. The Bible is implicitly telling us in every chapter of the book that the world is God's creation. It is God's good gift to us. It's, it's a life. It's a world full of abundance. Just look around. Pay attention, it seems to say. Now, I want to pause and give an important nuance here. I am not offering us a self-help exercise drawn from some loose exegesis of a film about a man in tights. Most corporate offices today are talking about mindfulness and gratefulness. Those are all good things, but that's not exactly what I'm getting at here. It's a busy enough season, and if you're feeling down, you don't need one more thing to do, which equates to one more thing you feel you should do, which generally ends in you feeling like you're failing at not doing the thing you should do. Now, what I'm saying is that Buddy finds the gifts that are all around him. He sees the world as inherently something that is good. And in that sense, he is on strong biblical grounds. Yes, the world is broken. Sin has infected the world. But it is so much better than it has to be. The world is just bursting forth with life and goodness if we're willing to look for it and to receive it. So this isn't a message of go and do something. But it's more of look See what God has done. Taste and see what God has made. I know for some of us, just seeing the glass half full right now is a lot to ask. And so I want to point out another biblical principle that Buddy exudes and that could encourage us in this Advent season. I think one of the reasons that Buddy is in a position to see the world as a gift is because of the twin values of simplicity and authenticity. We live in an extremely complex world. Like the natural world by itself is just mind-boggling. But we human beings have also created a system of economics and social interactions and transportation and job markets and cultural expectations that form this complicated web of reality that we live in. Buddy lives in the same world that we do, and yet he doesn't seem to need to know all about global politics or to be an expert in the stock market, or what's trending on Twitter. He is a master of living in the moment and appreciating what is in front of him. He has a role to play, and he carries out that very specific role with great passion. As I said before, Buddy is a hyperbole of simplicity. Not many of us would survive if we acted like an elf in modern-day America. But the point of a hyperbole is not to have us mimic the example but to move us closer to a place of health and well-being. We're often overwhelmed by the size of the world's problems. And when we realize that we have no real power in and of ourselves to take on all the cares of the world, it produces great anxiety and discouragement, and we, we can feel hopeless. But what if we focused on what was right in front of us? That's simplicity. It's paying attention to what God has given you to do in this moment, in this sphere of influence that he's placed you in. Now, does this mean that we put our heads in the sand and ignore big and important issues? Well, of course not. But we do need to set up boundaries. So like, if your main job is, I don't know, running a small business or raising a family or serving at a local school or a hospital, 
it can only serve you so much to keep up to date on, on all the uh, uh, election recall madness or getting worked up about someone's remarks on social media. Like if you're feeling anxious because of social media or what people are saying, if you're feeling anxious about headlines and some sound bites, then that's a problem. And that's a problem you probably can't fix because it's a problem that only stays in the realm of ideas without, without any kind of action. All the while that we spend fretting over headlines and video clip, clips, it, it's not time that we're spent with real people in our real lives. I guarantee you that if you pursue the relationships right in your own sphere, you're going to have a much deeper and effective impact on the world. Simplicity is honoring the role that God has given you in this season. So just consider, where do most of the pressures and stresses come from? Are they not from external sources? Other people's opinions. And how many of those opinions actually matter? Does it matter how much so-and-so is doing on Pinterest with their baking and holiday decorations? Does it matter what this celebrity or that neighbor of yours is doing for Christmas this year? Jesus encourages us to trust him and to give us what we need for what he has called us to do. He, he has us pay attention to the birds of the air and the flowers of the field, the Father in heaven feeds and clothes them with abundance. How much more will he care for us, his image bearers? So part of finding joy is trusting in God to provide what we need for what he's actually called us to do. Simplicity is receiving the gift of not having to save the world. That job has already been taken. The other side of simplicity is authenticity. Buddy shows us how to be himself without fear of other people's opinions. Now, does that mean that we should all run around in tights and pointy shoes? I mean, I guess if that's authentically you, go for it. I mean, Eric Fraser once pulled it off, um, and I've got photo evidence to prove that. But for most of us, it means something even harder, and that is accepting our limitations. Buddy has limited social graces. He seems to have a limited intellect, at least in street smarts, but he still has a thriving human existence because he was content to be himself, to accept his limitations and all. We live in a world that wants to preach limitlessness, that you can be anything or you can live longer if you take this supplement, you can work longer and sleep less with this energy, energy drink, you can control the world around you with the latest technology. But joy comes in receiving our lives as gift. These bodies were given. They're good. They're from God. Our minds are not all the same, but they are just what each one of us needs to do what God has called us to do. When we see Jesus, who is God in the flesh, we see someone who needed to sleep and needed to pray and needed to cry and needed to eat, to have friends abound him, uh, around him when, when he was undergoing great anxiety and stress, and he had a need to be engaged in meaningful work. Jesus received the limits of the flesh, and in so doing, he was able to focus on those right in front of him. He focused on the disciples and on those in his immediate sphere. He didn't have podcasts, or he didn't try and mass produce himself, or to try and create a, a large following of followers. 
He received the limitations of physicality, and he transformed the world by investing in a few people who are right in front of him, those that the Father had given into his hand. In this sense, Buddy is a type of Christ. Now, when I say a type, I'm using that in a technical sense. And that means that there are certain aspects of a character that point toward or illustrate a trait of Jesus. So we might say that King David was a type of Christ for his commitment to God or his kingship. But we would never claim that David, his whole life, was Christ-like. Or Samuel was a type of Christ for his miraculous birth and his prophetic role, but we would never make the mistake or the claim that Samuel was just like Jesus. So, in what way is Buddy a type of Christ? I think it's because his joy is infectious. Consider this. Like Jesus, Buddy enters into the everyday world from a far-off place. And wherever he goes, he brings the influence of that far-off place into our world. And when he encounters people who are hardened by the world and deeply invested in the power of the world, he's met with opposition. So, Jesus is often rejected by the political and religious leaders of his day, but he received the sad and lonely and downcast. And in a similar way, Buddy is rejected by people in power. Like, he annoys the store manager who's consistently stressed out. He says to Buddy, why are you smiling? But he says, smiling is my favorite. And the manager says, make work your favorite, right? Like he just can't accept the joy. And even his dad and brother at first reject Buddy and, and his joyful presence. But his joy can't find a place in their jaded hearts. But Buddy does bring joy wherever he goes. And when he meets Jovi, you know, she's just this sad mall elf working a seasonal job and, and in her words, trying to get through Christmas. She's like a lot of people who are struggling right now. But Buddy pays attention to her. And in a refreshingly innocent way, not the typical romantic kind of lustful formula that are in so many films, Buddy sees Jovi's inner beauty and he helps her to find her voice again, literally and figuratively. His kindness disarms her, and his joy jumpstarts her life again. Buddy pays attention. He compliments the staff at his dad's office, leaving a wake of smiles and joy in a place normally filled with tension and stress and deadlines and big-dollar deals. And one of the most stark examples of Buddy being a type of Christ is his work in the mailroom. The scene is literally in the pit of the Empire State Building. The, the lighting is dark and the work is tedious and people just seem unhappy. There's a sense that this is a community of outcasts. People on work release, people with really bad hairstyles, and whether or not it was intentional or just the implicit racism inherent in our culture, this pit is occupied by many people of color not seen in the upper levels of the building, except of course for Francisco, who is in the film because his name is fun to say. But the mailroom is exactly the type of place that Jesus would be. To this group of castaways, Buddy listens, he empathizes, he encourages, and he parties. Is that not like Jesus? I mean, what did we expect he was doing in all the parties he attended in the Bible? Yes, he was doing ministry, but that included bringing the joy of the kingdom of God into the world. 
After all, this is the same Jesus who turns water into wine. This is the Jesus who engages the outcast woman at the well and transforms her life. This is the uh, the Jesus who who melts the seriousness of Nicodemus and the skepticism of Nathaniel and redeems the lost Zacchaeus by having a dinner party at his house. Maybe you're in desperate need of the joy of the Lord. Maybe you feel like you're in the pit of despair or stuck in your own seriousness. And maybe your first step would simply be to ask Jesus to melt your heart and to help you receive his joy. The good news illustrated in the film Elf is that joy can melt any heart. Even Buddy's father, who was on Santa's naughty list. Consider that if a six foot three inch elf can change a heart, how much more can Jesus rescue the hearts of of us and those that we love? There's so much more to say about this film, and I regret that I haven't even gotten to the theme of adoption and the new family of God, and who doesn't want a father who would stand up like Buddy's father ends up standing up for him in the boardroom. There's so much gospel in all of these themes of the orphan and the outsider and adoption. But I will close with this. The main disappointment I have with this film is not with the film overall. Like, who expects a Will Ferrell film to be theologically correct all the way through? But it is a little bummer to me how the film ends. You see, the gospel, according to Elf, is that Santa is real. And you can be put on the nice list. But if you want Christmas, you've got to believe. Christmas won't come unless there's enough Christmas spirit, enough community singing and human togetherness. But the scriptures tell us that actually just the opposite is true. Jesus did not come because we had it particularly together as a species. And the promise is not that he will return when we've got it all together and when we we sing in harmony together. In Elf, Santa says, some people lose their way, but maybe all they need is a little Christmas spirit. Sorry, Santa, it's a bit worse and a bit better than that. When people lose their way, and we all do, there's nothing in this world bringing us back. It takes an intervention of the highest order, the sacrifice of God himself, and that is what Advent points toward. The good news is that Jesus, God in the flesh, invaded the world. He didn't wait for permission. He didn't wait till the situation was just right. He came on Christmas Day. His arrival was not dependent on anyone believing in it. It was a historical event. It happened as surely as the sunrise or as surely as your heart is beating right now. You didn't need to believe in order for those things to happen. They just happened, and I hope your heart is still beating, so it's still happening. The season of Advent reminds us through the scriptures that Jesus' second coming is inevitable as well. The question is not whether you believe or how strong your belief is. The question is how you will respond to the news that Jesus has come and that Jesus is coming. And I pray that you and I would be found responding in great joy.